Wow. Wow. There's a lot fewer when I did the sound check. There's a lot of you now. Thank you very much for that welcome. It's a bit nerve-wracking coming to speak when you've written a book uh, called, with that title, How to Feel Good Naked. It's about self-confidence and body image and clothes and stuff like this. But just to reassure you, at four o'clock this afternoon, I walked my dog and I was walking my dog across the field and I was wearing a baggy pair of trousers and a t-shirt and this little girl came from the far side of the field on a, on a little scooter and she raced across the field and said, can I throw the ball for your dog? Can I throw? I said, yeah, sure, you can throw. Her mum came after her, just about caught up with her and she said, I'm so sorry, I thought she thought you were her grandfather. <laughs> Okay, time to go home and put a dress on, I think. That wasn't quite the look I was going for. And, do you know, I didn't feel nervous until we got to that first film, where apparently all the speakers are fantastic. <sighs> no pressure. Actually, really, seriously, my ambition tonight is not to be fantastic. My ambition tonight is to that we might all come into the presence of God. I sense a hunger for wanting to be in God's presence and I hope what I'm going to be talking about will help you find ways into being in God's presence. I know that it's midsummer, and I know that the last thing that you want to think about is Christmas. But just bear with me for a moment... I think, will that work? Again? Oh. Yes. Okay, good, it works. Right. I'm, I'm, don't worry about this. I'm not going to get deeply into Christmas. I just want to tell you where this talk began. Last Christmas, my attention was snagged by the little story of the three kings. It's a story we don't celebrate in the Anglican Church until after Christmas. So we tell that story on the low Sunday after Christmas, which is when nobody turns up. So it's kind of not really worth preparing a really serious sermon. But anyway, I was really snagged with this story. This story really burned in me unusually for the best part of a week. I really lived and breathed this story, and I really um, just... It was unusual, but I was really taken with the idea of what do we bring as gifts into God's presence? The three kings brought gifts into the presence of Jesus. What would we bring as gifts? Uh, and I, this really was burning in me because I thought I was preaching on it. And um, I don't know about you, but I've been very much schooled in the idea that we don't bring anything into God's presence, that actually there's nothing that we can bring that will impress God. You know, the line from that hymn, nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling. There's a way in which that is true. But it was refreshingly challenging for me to think, actually, if there is something that I need to bring to that encounter, what would it be? What would I bring? And it went round and round my head, this question. And I'd got quite a long way towards what might have actually been a cracking sermon when I discovered that I wasn't actually down to preach anyway. 
Someone else was tasked for that day, and I simply hadn't read my own rota right. And I'll tell you, this was just par for the course for me. I was in a new job. I had masses of stress. I just moved house. I just got through Christmas. I couldn't even read my own rota. That was how I was. Well, I was quite annoyed for the best part of an hour and a half. And I thought, why, Lord, why have you been giving me all of these deep and profound thoughts about this story when I wasn't even down to teach or preach on it? And of course, the answer eventually came. Sheila, I didn't want you to preach on it. I want you to learn it. I want you to live it. I want you to get it into your head and your heart long before you ever try to teach anybody else about it. So what you're about to hear is is not a rehashed sermon that never got delivered. Instead, it is. It is really something that I have lived with and mulled over for the last six months more than I would ever have done if I had just preached that sermon and moved on to the next one. I've lived with it through a really quite dark and difficult place. And I just want to say that because I think sometimes the temptation is that you see people at the front talking and you think, oh, well, you know, they've got it all together. They've got their life sorted out. They must have this amazingly easy Christian life. It's not like that. I have lived this message through one of the darkest and most difficult periods of my life. I've been in a, in a new job and my beloved congregation must have thought, what on earth have we got here? It's not long after I got started, I became ill. And um, I just became ill with a, a virus, really, that was a fairly ordinary virus. But I just could not pick myself up. And I think it was the result of all the stress that I'd been through and all the changes that I'd been through. I just could not pick myself up. I don't want to go into too many details, but I did spend most of February and March on the sofa. That was pretty much it. And there are those of you out there who kept me through that. Thank you. Those... Those moments, those kind of experiences make us lose our confidence, um, very, very much so. And it's very hard to pick up after that. And what I found very precious about that time was that I was very aware of the presence of God. And yes, it's true, what I said earlier, we do only bring our nothingness, our emptiness, our brokenness our fears and our conflicts. And it's absolutely right that we should come to God as we are. But as I thought about this, I thought there are three things that the Bible tells us does unlock God's presence for us. And the first of these is faith. I like to think of them as three keys, if you like, into the presence of God. And the first one, is faith should come up. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 tells us that without faith it is impossible to please God. For without faith it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. 
Now, sometimes we make too much of faith. I'll just put that verse up so that you can see it. Sometimes we make too much of faith. Sometimes um, we think it's terribly important to have an awful lot of faith and we worry constantly that we don't have enough. And one of the most frequent things that people say to me is, oh, I wish I had your faith, as if I had some large amount of it. Faith simply means turning with some kind of an awareness or trust or hope that there is or there might be someone we're turning to. You can have faith even if you don't know the person you're turning to, the God you're turning to, even if you don't feel you understand this God very well. The act of turning is the first act of faith. The act of turning that says, I'm not alone. We do get awfully messed up about the idea of having to have a lot of faith and worrying that we don't have enough. We put ourselves under immense pressure to produce faith when Jesus only ever said, you need to have faith the size of a mustard seed. And there is a mustard seed on that screen. (laughs) There is, honestly. But I've really, really come to see that faith is the act of turning to God. And that act, that turning might be made in desperation. That turning might be made even when there's no sense of God's presence. That turning might even be an act of shouting at God or railing at God. All of these things are acts of faith. You do not have to generate some firm sense of belief, some confidence that's above question and doubt. You do not have to find some serene state of mind. That's not what faith is all about. Faith is in the turning, the trusting that God is somehow there. That the world, the universe is not an empty place. That we are heard even when we cry out in pain. That idea of the universe not being an empty place was brought to my mind very vividly um, some time ago when David, my husband, came home with a DVD in the shopping bag. He quite often brings home a DVD from his Tesco shop, even though it's not on the list, but still. And I'm afraid to say that it's usually his choice. Our kids are grown up and left home now. And when we do sit down and watch a video of an evening, he almost always gets to choose what we watch. And I could write you the script. So heroic men, daring challenges, destroy the meteor, climb the mountain, save the straggling survivors from some apocalyptic disaster, attractive female co-star, predictable plot, happy ending, world saved, boy meets girl, kiss, medals awarded. Yeah, you all know it, yeah, that's the... That's the kind of film David likes. So he says, oh, it's a sci-fi, he said. I thought, okay, whatever. Aliens, warp drive, you know, boy meets girl, probably. Whatever, that's all right. But oh boy, oh boy, we sat down to watch this film. I think it's probably the worst film I've ever seen. 
The only really enjoyable bit about the whole film was watching David's complete and utter bafflement at the fact that this film had no hero, no aliens, no love interest, and very little plot. Now, forgive me, because I am going to plot spoil a little bit, but I promise you, if I spare you ever having to watch this film, I will have saved you from an experience that you probably didn't want. So, here's the summary. An astronaut is sent up into a space station. It's a solo mission. First of all, he has radio contact with ground control. And then, mysteriously, all contact ceases. From that moment on, there is no one else in the film. There is just this man in a tin can, 220 miles above the surface of the Earth, saying over and over again, Cap. Con, do you read me? <laughs> You're only 10 minutes in. There's an hour and 38 minutes to go. And you think, what is going to happen in this film? And the answer is nothing. Nothing happens. We watched it all because we were just hoping something would. But nothing did. You watch him over six years go slowly mad. <laughs> David was chewing his leg off with boredom. <laughs> nothing happens. He almost loses the will to live. Actually, it's really quite intense. He sort of hallucinates. You're not sure if he's hallucinating or if he's not. And... He thinks about committing suicide, but he can't quite bring himself to. And I think that's because he's frightened that actually on the other side of death, there is just the sheer loneliness. There is no sense of God in this film. It was very intense. Apart from giggling at David's confusion, it was actually very intense. And the filmmakers were trying to make a point. And the point that they were making was that without connection... We are as good as dead. Without connection, without stories, without friends, without children, neighbors in our lives, life becomes utterly meaningless. And they made that point very, very well. If you ever want to soak for an hour and a half of existential total misery, this is the film for you. And you know what it's called? I didn't tell you at the start, deliberately. Love. It's called love. Yeah. The morning after we'd watched that film on Saturday night, I woke up and the first thought in my head was, I'm not alone. I am not alone. There is a God in this universe who created me because he wants a relationship with me. This world is not an empty, meaningless place where I'm just an accidental bunch of cells brought into being for no purpose whatsoever. There is a God who made me, who loves me, who calls me. This is the good news. This is the Christian message. And oddly enough, it was watching that intense film of utter loneliness and meaninglessness that made me joyful for the hope that I have. That there is a God who will be with me even in the dark and lonely times of my life. Who will, after death, welcome me not into nothingness, 
not into an eternity of solitary confinement, but into his presence. But we can taste and know that presence now. So the first key is faith. The first key is faith. And faith is just that turning. The second key is that we need to bring... Now, I've got two words here. I actually prefer the first word. Let's see. Oh, have we got stuck? There we go. Allegiance. Loyalty is a good word. Dogs are loyal. Friends are loyal, you hope. But actually, the word allegiance has a really strong resonance for me. It, it speaks something about maybe this picture. I know it's a little bit of a masculine image, and I don't mean to sort of play on the war imagery of it, but it speaks of a knight kneeling before a master, laying down his sword, laying down his self-protection, bending on his knees, making himself vulnerable, bringing everything of himself, his strength, his skill, his talents, his abilities, connections, and saying, you are my master. I will put you first above all other claims in my life. Here's my life in your service. This is one of the keys that opens the presence of God. God takes first place. God asks for first place. When we come with that sense of offering our whole self to God, our talents, our strengths, and our gifts, we are welcomed into the presence of God. The early Christians declared that Jesus is Lord, and by saying that, they made it very clear there was a greater Lord than Caesar. It was a very dangerous thing to say. And God still asks for an all-out commitment. Take up your cross and follow me is not a life of half measures. You cannot just say, Jesus is a great example. I like Jesus. I'll just add a little bit of Jesus to everything else. Being a Christ follower means you bring everything of yourself and you commit yourself to following Christ. And when people committed to following, them, following Jesus in those early days, for the most part, it meant giving up their day job. It meant not having a place to stay. It meant giving away everything they had. It meant even disappointing those nearest to you. Paul says in Romans, we are to be living sacrifices. And when we are seeking to come into God's presence, but we're very protective of holding back the things we don't want him to touch or the things that we don't want him to interfere with, then we're not fully coming into God's presence. We're saying, well, okay, God, this much, but not here. I like how the message renders that verse about being a living sacrifice. It says, take your everyday, your ordinary life, your eating, sleeping, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. 
I do like it, but it does kind of imply that being a Christ follower uh, means that life goes on as normal. Whereas actually loyalty or allegiance requires that God takes first place. And that might lead to anything. <laughs> might lead to anything. I tell you, I'm in the ministry. <laughs> oh boy, how did that happen? <laughs> we can't dictate to God where he's going to lead us. And sometimes it feels, doesn't it, that everybody wants a little piece of us. Uh, I don't know if you've ever felt like this, this lady. You've just got so many people demanding, needing things or calling at you or saying, can you do this or can you do this or I must do that or I should go and walk my dog. I should look after my elderly mother. I've got my small children. I've got this to run. I've got that to run. It feels like everybody wants a piece of us. And sometimes when we feel like that, it feels like God is saying, and I want a piece of you too. He's not saying that, saying, I don't want a piece of you, Sheila. I want all of you. I want, I want all of you. It's quite straightforward. I just want all of you. Let's not argue about it. Yes, I know you've got your dog and your job and the elderly mother. and blah, 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 blah. I want all of you. Can you bring everything that God's put in your life, even the limitations, even the demands, and say, all of these are of you, God. I bring all of these to you as well. You see, if you turn it on its head and you give yourself to God first, then you leave it up to God as to how he divides you up. And there will be enough of you to go round. So that's the second key into God's presence. We must bring our allegiance. We must bring, give God the first place. But it needs to be brought with that first key and it needs to be brought with the third key. And I know I haven't told you what that one is yet. But just before we leave this second key, I want to say that it has a little bit of a risk. It carries a risk. As I look around uh, lots of churches, I see many, many faithful Christians, and I would never, ever question their allegiance, their loyalty. They work hard, but they are bone-weary. They are not warmed or thrilled or comforted by their service. They are more characterized by determination than joy. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I understand that as Christ followers, sheer determination is important. It gets us through. We are carried by self-discipline. You know, some mornings we have to get up and, you know, just commit ourselves. I will do, speak, say, serve, make tea, cake, run mother and toddlers, uh, cut out 25 spiders for messy church, whatever. Sometimes it's just sheer determination that does get you through. But if that's all it ever is, it can leave you feeling very cold and very uncomforted. And actually, 
very quickly, it can make you feel resentful. And if you don't get resentful, the opposite risk is that you will get too self-important. You will tend to think, become convinced that somehow you are essential, that somehow the church couldn't possibly survive without you. Tell you what, lie on a sofa for two months and you find out that they go on perfectly all right. Bless them. Puts you in your place. Sometimes we become too convinced that we're really important and our secret service for God becomes an effort to impress God or if not to impress God, maybe to impress others. And so as I thought about this, this tricky second key of loyalty or allegiance, I thought there has to be a third key. There has to be something else that I need to bring or that I need to, need to have. Think of it not necessarily as a key, but maybe an attitude that will help me bring me into the presence of God. And so the last key is worship. Worship, as we have started this evening. It's worship that warms me. It's worship that transforms me. It's worship that reminds me how big and amazing and powerful and huge God is and how small and insignificant I am and that that's okay. It's worship that puts me in the cleft of a rock when the storm goes past. I'm hidden and I'm safe. I'm held in God's hands. Without worship, I will become hard and driven Bone weary, I will dry up. Without stopping to contemplate the grace and love of God and the power of God and the beauty of the world he's placed me in, without pausing to give thanks, to notice, to be mindful, I will just become dead inside. The word for worship in the Greek means to draw near to kiss to draw near to kiss it's a very very intimate word it's very personal god is a person he wants to meet you to embrace you he wants you to set aside time to have a sense of that close presence There is one way in which I can't actually generate that sense of God's presence. You know, God, God gifts us with his presence as he chooses to do so. But I can create space for it in my life. So I suppose what I'm really saying is I bring God my desire to be in his presence. I bring him my desire to worship. I make space for God. I used to really despair about my own prayer life. I used to worry a lot about whether or not I was praying long enough or 
you know, clever enough. I'd listen to other people's prayers and think, oh, they're really good prayers, aren't they? And, you know, I'd beat myself up and think that maybe I wasn't doing this thing well enough to make God do what I wanted him to do, which, of course, isn't actually the point of prayer. But one of the most freeing people, things that somebody said to me about, about prayer is this. She said, you know, the most effective prayers are people who just show up. Can you just show up? Well, yeah, God, I can do that. You know, if that's all you're expecting, I, I can do that. I can show up. And so my prayers very often begin, here I am, here I am, I'm just here. I want to be in your presence. I want you to see me and know me. Here I am, here I am, I'm in a mess. Here I am, I'm confused. Here I am, I'm frightened, I'm anxious. And so it goes on for at least 10 minutes, but he's still there. Here I am, just come to God as you are. And that just show up has taken off from me the burden of needing to do anything else. Because, of course, as we show up, God shows up too. God promises that if we seek, he will, we will find. I often think that prayer is a bit like sunbathing. When you're lying in the sun, you want to get a nice tan. You think that absolutely nothing is happening and you keep checking. You know, have I gone brown yet? And of course, it's only later. Ow, sat out there for a bit too long. It's a gentle, it should be, a gentle transformation. Sunbathing, S-O-N. Prayer is sunbathing. We are transformed when we're in the presence of Jesus. Show up. Make that space in our hearts and allow ourselves to be warmed. It is, it is worship that affects our hearts. It is loyalty and allegiance is all about our wills and our minds and our determination. But worship is all about what's going on in our hearts. And God cares about what goes on in our hearts because he, you know, is the Bible talks about, about God pouring his love into our hearts. Romans 5, 5. God wants to change us in some deep inner place, not just to change us kind of intellectually, but in some deep inner place. When we've made that decision about loyalty or allegiance, it's with our hearts that we worship. It's a decision of our heart. So those are my three keys. I don't mean by using the word keys to imply that God's presence is somehow locked away or hard to access. Although I guess for some people that might be their experience. I think you could, as I've said, substitute the word attitude for key. And what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that these attitudes are key. <laughs> they, they are essential to help you. Now, I probably haven't said anything that's particularly revolutionary. And I, but I do suspect that for each and every one of us, there will be one of those keys that feels hardest. So that's what I want to challenge you to think about, just between you and God. 
Which one of those keys feels hardest for you? Is it faith? Well, don't be daunted by this one. Faith is the gift of God. If you can ask for it, you've got enough faith to receive it. Someone once said, if you do, faith is, if you do do what you would do, if you had it, then you've got it. Shall I say that again? If you do do what you would do, if you had it, then you've got it. I think I'd love to talk to God. So talk to God. Ah, you've got faith. All right. Don't be daunted by the idea of faith. Maybe it's allegiance that you struggle with. Maybe you have that sense of dividedness, that sense of being pulled in so many directions, so many demands, so many neediness, people around you. Maybe in the end, your relationship with God just feels like one more demand, one more thing on your timetable of lists of things to do. Can you come to God again and say, all of me here to you first then you divide me up can you realize that God gave you all of those things on your list of things to do can you receive those things as a gift from God saying God you're not competing but in these ways in these tasks in these limitations that I have in my life I can still serve you Or is it worship? Is that the key that you struggle with? Is that the thing that feels the hardest? Does your heart feel cold or distant, disappointed, bruised, let down, not really sure if God does care or does really hear? Maybe you feel that you're simply overlooked when it comes to sensing the presence of God. Again, I'd ask you not to put yourself under pressure to create some kind of emotional response. Simply make space. Simply make space to be with God in whatever way is comfortable or easiest for you. I just want to finish with one last story. I... I know that I've I've made an assumption all the way through as I've gone along. And that assumption is that being in God's presence is something that you would naturally desire. But it's possible that maybe you just don't get it. Maybe you just don't quite understand what the appeal of that is. Maybe you feel as if you're a bit of an outsider looking in and you do wonder what everyone's on about. A couple of years ago, I was on holiday in France and I was um, in the village, a village called Alpe d'Huez, and I saw what looked like an incredibly ugly building. It looked like a grain silo um, with a sort of old barn tacked onto it. It looked very ugly. It was not very appealing. It looked very modern. I think I have a picture of it. There we go. But it made me curious. So I went uh, one evening to go and investigate this building. And it turned out to be the most amazing church. And when I walked inside, oh my goodness, 
It was wow. Right in the middle was this music, this musical instrument, this organ, which is in the shape of a hand, meaning that music and worship gives us a hand up to God, points us in the direction of God. The idea of the ceiling is that it's constructed like a tent and we're welcomed into God's presence like a tent draped around the congregation with worship being right there in the center. It had the most extraordinary, extraordinary organ um, uh, and you can see it there. This organ even had a name, not a manufacturer's name. It had a personal name. They called it something. I can't remember what they called it, but Bert or Harry or something. I can't remember. And it even had a human godparent, which I did think was a little bit strange, but there you go. And, but this whole building just really spoke to me. And the outside and the inside really spoke to me because you don't get it until you walk in. From the outside, the Christian faith might look very odd, very peculiar, a bit strange, odd shape, strange people. You might think, what's going on? But until you've walked through the door with the eyes of faith and you've said, show me into your presence, it doesn't make sense. And there's no amount of explaining to people that you can do. People have to walk through that door with the eyes of faith into God's presence. And then they go, oh, I get it. I get it. The presence of God only makes sense from the inside. So we're going to move into a time of prayer. And we're going to hopefully watch this video again uh, that we didn't manage to see before. And I hope that in this time of prayer, you're going to have the chance to respond to either prayer for healing, as she's no doubt going to inspire you. But also you're going to have the chance to respond to that challenge I've given you of which of those keys feels the least familiar? Which of those keys do you find the hardest to use? I'm going to leave it at that and Anne's going to explain the rest.